are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Wednesday, uh, I was in a meeting with Pastor Rick uh, Wednesday morning when he got a text from uh, family, and uh, the text just said, hey, Rick, um, you and Annette might want to head home. Uh, Dad is not doing so good. And so Rick, throughout that morning, he, he was just kind of distracted, just trying to decide, what should I do? Should I go home uh, today? Should I stay? And so th- Wednesday afternoon, he decided, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go check on Dad. I'm going to go be, spend time with some family. Friday morning, I got a text that said, Chris, um, my dad's not doing great. He's declining. And uh, it really could be any day now. And Saturday morning, our staff received a text message that his father uh, went to be with the Lord Saturday morning. Uh, Rick's text to our staff was incredible. It, it again just reminded me how thankful I am to have a pastor like that. It reminded me how lucky our church is to have somebody that can lead us with that kind of Christian character. He just said, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing because my dad's pain and suffering is no longer that he has received the crown that he has been long awaiting for in heaven with God. And so I just think as a church, I think it would be good of us to just spend a moment in prayer, praying for Rick and Annette, praying for their family, praying for them as they are journeying through this loss. Some of you uh, have been through that. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. And so I just want us to take a moment and spend some time praying, praying for Rick. One of the things he said last night, uh, just real quick, I texted him last night, hey, how's the family? He said, we're all doing really good. Thanks for your prayers. And I said, how are you doing? He said, well, tomorrow morning will be the first morning I ever wake up and I don't have a dad. And so I just think for us to come together as a church body and pray for our pastor will be really good. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, someone you have gifted to us, someone that you have brought to us, someone who stands up here week after week and opens the Word of God and begins to transform our lives through you is in deep pain today. Lord, will you be with Rick and Annette? Will you be with their family? Will you be with brothers and sisters? Will you be with his mom? Will you be with aunts and uncles and cousins who are mourning the loss of a father today? Lord, will you walk so close with them, Lord, just as Rick is to so many of us in our lives, in our times of suffering, visiting us in the hospital, coming and praying for us. Lord, will you send somebody to be that for them? Lord, will you call someone to be a pastor to a pastor today? Lord, I pray for the celebration of his father's life that's going to happen this next week. Lord, will you make that moment special? Will you allow it to bring healing? Will you allow it to bring hope? And Lord, we celebrate the fact that His Father is with you today in eternal life. Lord, what a good place to be. So Lord, be with Rick and Annette today, Lord. Be close and be dear to them. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. So uh, I was a sophomore or junior in college, and um, it was Christmas time. And I was home for Christmas, just like, just like you do. And uh, I remember it was time, we were opening presents, and it was time to open the stockings. 
And so just like every year, you know, my mom and dad, they would, they would stock everybody's stockings. And, and typically, you'd get a stocking, there'd be bubble gum in it or, or something. I mean, just like little knick-knack stuff. Nothing really that great. But I remember seeing my stocking on that Sunday morning, and it was really big. Like it was stuffed to the max. And I thought, whoa, there's something special in that stocking this year. And I remember getting it down and my mom passed them all out and I reached my hand in and I pulled out this. This book. And I looked at the book and I'd never heard of it before. And first of all, this is not what I asked for. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. Uh, I, I, didn't, I did not have this on my Christmas list. This was um, an extra, if you will. And I looked at it and I said, okay, Andy Stanley, how to get from where you are to where you want to be? The principle of the path. And my mom said, hey, I got everybody this book for Christmas. You all really need to read it. Now, that was borderline offensive to me. I mean, what is she trying to say? What do you mean? Am I not on the right path? Do you think I need to be on a different path? Why do I need to read this book. I mean, and I think there's probably two reasons why someone gives you a book like this. One, it could be that uh, it's a really, really great book and it will have lots of insightful things to you. Or two, someone thinks you're on the wrong path. Right? If someone says, hey, you really need to read this book, it's a, it's a, it hurts a little. And so I remember taking this book and um, like most of my books in college, I only read half of it. And um, I, I started reading it over Christmas break. I said that in first service, and then I saw some of my professors in college <laughs> sitting in the audience. I was like, oh, not in your class, though, not in your class. <laughs> but I read half of it, and I remember thinking, like, okay, I'm not going to finish that, but I feel like I'm on a pretty good path. I'm at least halfway there. And uh, so when I found out this week that I was preaching... And I was going to continue the sermon series that Pastor Rick has started us in. I thought to myself, it might be wise to finish the book. <laughs> it might just be a good idea. So I went down to the bottom of my bookshelf. I'm talking the very, very bottom. And I found it and I pulled it out and I started looking through it and reading some of the notes that I had made years ago uh, in the front of this book. And I started rereading it and read through the, the second half of the book. And I was reminded once again about the sermon series Rick has had us in, about the conversations we're beginning to have in small groups and in smaller settings, about what path are we on. And we're asking a very, very basic question. I mean, it's nothing really challenging. How do we get from where we are to where we want to be? Because Stanley says that each one of us are on a path. It doesn't matter if you didn't choose that path. It doesn't matter if you don't like the path you're on. You are on a path. You are headed somewhere. And every decision that we choose to make, every decision that we make in our life, small or big, is taking us somewhere. And then Stanley just says really, really basically, really simply, every path that you are on has a very, very predictable destination. It has a very, very predictable destination. I, uh, about four months ago, I joined a CrossFit gym. Does anyone know what CrossFit is? Raise your hand. It's basically short for pain and suffering. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't have the body of a CrossFitter, okay? I never have, um, that's never been part of my 
just my life. I, I was born at 10 pounds, and I've just been big for the, my whole life. And that's been fine as I've been younger because it's never really slowed me down. I've played sports. I've done stuff. I've never had a lack of confidence. I love, I love who God made me to be. But all of a sudden, I'm not as young anymore. And I'm 27, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to realize, like, I'm like, hey, that kind of hurts a little bit. Or like, I wake up and I'm like, ah, I need to stretch out. And then I, I, when, when I found out that we were having a baby, I started to kind of reflect and think about the life that I wanted to live. And I started to realize like, hey, man, I want to be a coach someday. Or I want to be able to wrestle on the floor. Or I want to be able to get down on the floor and play or go ride bikes or do all this kind of stuff. And I started to realize that the path I'm headed on has a very predictable destination. That there is nothing healthy about being overweight. And that destination is going to end me somewhere that I actually don't want to be. So I go and I join a CrossFit gym four months ago. And about four days a week, I go there and I basically just die. I mean, <laughs> I work so hard and, and I can't finish workouts and, I'm, and I'm, I'm working out and I'm lifting weights and I'm running and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm sore all the time. But I'm all of a sudden beginning to see that there are small changes in my life. And I'm beginning to be able to do things that I wasn't able to do since I was in college. And all of a sudden I'm starting to realize that the path that I'm on is beginning to change. The path that I am now on is not having the same destination where I was headed. It's starting to look a little different. I'm starting to see a path in which I'm a coach for my daughter. I'm starting to see a path where I get to be a part of all her events. That I get to live life with her. That I get to go out and ride bikes and play and do all this fun stuff that I want to do in life. The paths that we're on have a predictable destination. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture out of 1 Kings chapter 12. If you want to pull that up on your phones, I'll give you just a second. Pull it up in a Bible. This is a Bible, by the way. First Kings chapter 12 goes like this. I'm going to read it through first and then we'll talk about it. It says this, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. And Rehoboam asked, how would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant to those people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. They asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people? You say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. 
Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. And I will scourge you with scorpions. Uplifting word of the Lord today. Amen? Good story. Good story. A couple years ago, I got invited to uh, Watson Pollock's 13th birthday party. Many of you guys know Chris Pollock. He's now our pastor of our church plant in Midtown. And, and uh, Holly and Watson and Annabelle are his kids. And I got to go to, I got this invitation in my email to go to his 13th birthday party. And to be honest, that's, that's kind of unique. I actually, even as a youth pastor, I don't get invited to a lot of birthday parties. Uh, we get invited to things like choir concerts and orchestra and, and sporting events. So we don't really get invited to things like where there's cake and ice cream and a real good time. <laughs> and so I, I see the invitation come through. And to my surprise, I'm like, whoa, birthday invitation. That just doesn't happen that often. And so I begin to read the invitation and the date. And, and then all of a sudden at the end, there's a, there's a note. And it says, this is not going to be an ordinary 13th birthday party. In fact, this birthday party is significant. The only people who were invited to this birthday party are people who Watson identified as older men who he respects, who mentor him, who guide him, and are voices that he wants to listen to. So all of a sudden cake and ice cream and balloons out the window, this was actually pretty significant. It actually was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had as a youth pastor. So I go to the IRSV to the, the event and I go and I show up not really knowing what to expect to be totally honest. And when I get there, I realize I'm in, I'm in good company. There's a lot of really, really great adult men at this party. There's, there's neighbors who have invested in Watson. There's baseball coaches, basketball coaches. There's grandparents, uncles. There's pastors. And there's longtime friends. And we began to socialize and, and Chris had, had made burgers and hot dogs and we're all sitting in this circle in the backyard and we're all eating and we're telling funny stories. And then Chris begins to talk to Watson and he has Watson stand up in the middle of this circle. 13 years old, he's standing there. And Chris begins to talk to him and he says to him, you realize that every one of these people are people you have chosen to speak into your life. Every single one of these people around this circle, you have said, these are people that are mentors of mine. These are people that I want to guide me and lead me in the path of life. He says, so Watson, go ahead and turn around. And he takes a bandana, a blindfold, and he blindfolds him. And then he says to us around the circle, he says, at this point, I want you guys to get up and I want you to switch spots all around the circle quietly. So we switch spots and we're all scattered up from where we were originally setting. And Chris begins to instruct Watson. He says, Watson, there will be times in your life where you will need to know the voices that you need to listen to. There will be times in your life where you will be facing hard, big decisions. And you will need to be able to hear the voices that can guide you and lead you. And he said, guys, one by one, I want you just to say Watson's name. 
You don't say anything else. You just say Watson's name, whatever it is that you call him. If it's a nickname, if it's just his name, you just say that. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my. There's no way he's going to get all this. And one by one, these men around the circle, Watson, that's Grandpa. Watson, that's Coach. Watson, that's Pastor David. Watson, that's my neighbor Roy. Watson, that's Pastor Chris. And he knew the voices of every single person around that room. And it got to Chris, his dad. At the very end, he says, Leon. And Watson goes, that's my dad. Who are the voices in your life that you're able to listen to? Who are the voices in your life that when you are on a path that is leading somewhere, when you are trying to get from here to there, if you're trying to get from where you are to where you want to be, who are the people in your life that can whisper your name, that can speak truth into you, that can guide you along the way? So that's a question for us today. And I hope that as a community, we can begin to process some of these questions. That as we're talking about being on this journey and on this path, that as a community of faith, as a church congregation, as a body of Christ, we can begin to ask the question, who are the people that are leading and guiding us? Who are the people that we should be leading and guiding? We need people in our lives that have been through what we're going through in order to help us move us to the place where we want to be. We can't do it without it. I read you this story uh, in Kings chapter 12. And it's not, a really, it's not a really heartwarming story. That's just the truth. But it's a story that speaks directly to what we're trying to talk about today. So who is King Rehoboam? Rehoboam was the son of King Solomon. King Solomon reigned over Israel for 40 years. King Solomon was actually a good king. In fact, when he was beginning his reign, God came to King Solomon in a dream. Some of you know this story. He came to King Solomon in a dream and God said to him, ask me for anything you want. Now I don't know about you, but if God came to me in a dream and it said, Chris, ask me for anything you want, we'd be in trouble because you know what I would say? Probably money. My selfishness, my greediness, my sinful nature and desire, my bent toward greed, I would probably respond, anything I want, man, give me money. I know money can't make you happy, but it sure can buy you a jet ski, and I've never seen anybody unhappy on a jet ski. (laughs) Right? That's probably what I would answer. But he goes to King Solomon in a dream, and he says, ask me for anything you want. And King Solomon says, I want wisdom and discernment. And I think that God was maybe so surprised by this answer that not only did God grant him wisdom and discernment, He also said, because you asked for this, I will give you wealth and power. And So King Solomon was said to be one of the wisest kings of all time. Oftentimes said to be the wisest man on earth. That was Rehoboam's father. And King Solomon dies. 
after 40 years of being the king of Israel. And Rehoboam is now the son. He is going to take over the crown. And a man named Jeroboam, who was fleeing from King Solomon because he was in fear of his life, heard this is happening. So Jeroboam comes out of hiding and he takes, he goes to where the king is going to be crowned and he takes a group of people from Israel and he goes to him and says, your burden has been heavy on us. You see, even though King Solomon was kind of a good king, one of the things where he really struggled was he taxed the people heavily. To support his luxurious lifestyle, to support the things and the expansion of the kingdom, he taxed his people tremendously. They couldn't even care for their own lands. They couldn't even care for their own families. They oftentimes worked as slaves. And so the people of Israel were tired of it. And so they get behind Jeroboam who goes to Rehoboam and says, will you lift this burden from us? At that point, Rehoboam makes a good decision. It was his first good decision he ever made as king. He said, I tell you what, give me three days to think about this. Return back to me in three days and I will give you an answer. That's his first good decision. It would be wise of all of us when in the face of a good deci- a big decision, we say, let me take a few days to think about it. So then, Rehoboam makes his second good decision. Instead of just sitting on his own and trying to decide and trying to figure out what to do, he goes and he seeks wise counsel. The first group of people he goes to is the elders. The elders who had served his dad faithfully for 40 years. And he goes to the elders and he says, what do you think I should do with this decision? Should I just make their yoke easier? Should I take this burden? Should I take the taxes off of them? And the elders said, if you do this, If you honor that request, they have promised that they will serve you for their entire lives. Scripture says they will be your servants. And he hears the advice and he leaves. Then he goes to a younger group of people and Scripture says it was young men who were now serving him as king. It was kind of his posse, his entourage. And he asked them the same question. Should I... Should I make their burden lighter? And the young men began to advise him. And they said, no, no, no. You need to show these people that you are now king. You need to go to these people and say, my father had a heavy burden on you. I am going to make it even heavier. Scripture even goes so far to say that that my father scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. And three days later, Jeroboam and Israel come back to Rehoboam. Have you decided? And he tells them, my finger is as thick as my father's waist. I am going to make this heavy on you. The answer is no. You know what struck me most about this passage? Is that I imagine... In the midst of this kind of decision, really his first decision as king of Israel, he goes and he gathers his young servants around him who are in the very same place as he is. They are here, and everyone around him that he takes advice from is also here. He met with people that are where he wants to go. 
but he chose not to let them lead him along the path. And so he takes the advice of the people who are directly where he already is. And you know what really strikes me about this passage is that he probably thought, this is just my first decision. This is just my first decision. But he didn't realize at the time that that one decision set him on a path. Right? That little bitty decision that he had to make right there is my first decision as king. That decision was not just an isolated decision. It actually centered him on a path that now has a very, very predictable destination. You see, we make these choices, these little decisions through life, financially, health and fitness, job, family, marriage, relationships. We make these little decisions every single day and we don't realize that they're not isolated decisions. These decisions actually have us centered on a path and they're taking us somewhere. And this decision Rehoboam made took them on a path for an entire nation. A path that affected real people, real families. And a path that would divide the nation of Israel and send them to war. If you continue to read, Jeroboam becomes king of the people of Israel in the north and Rehoboam is king of the Israel in the south. And it affected them for the rest of time. As a pastor, I meet with people regularly. It's kind of part of the job. I meet with students often go to coffee, breakfast, lunch, meet with uh, adults often. Hey, let me talk to you about something. And a lot of times in those conversations, I hear some of the very same things uh, come up. A lot of times it's things like this. You know, Pastor Chris, I just I don't hear God. You know, I've been praying and I've been praying about this decision. I'm praying about this decision, but it doesn't seem like God has given me an answer. We've all been there. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible and I'm reading Scripture and and, and I'm trying to hear what God wants me to do, but I just don't hear Him. You know what always strikes me about that conversation is I often, my next question when I hear that is very simple. Who are the people that love you? And what are they saying you should do? I can't hear God. Why is God not speaking to me? Why is God not answering? Who are the people that love you? And what are they saying you should do? It wouldn't surprise any of us if I said this morning that one of the most primary ways in which God speaks to us is through the counsel of others. The most primary way in which God speaks to us and communicates to us and calls us to do something is through the counsel of of people that God has put in our life. People that love us and care about us. This has been true in my own life. I remember I was a senior in high school and I was just trying to decide what does God want me to do? I was so conflicted. I was so torn apart on where I should go, what I should do. I felt the call to ministry, but I didn't want to be a pastor. And I remember I'm sitting in my driveway my senior year. It's 2 a.m. I've got to decide where I'm going to college. I want to go to OU. But I'm feeling called to go to SNU. And I just called my youth pastor. I called Chris Pollock. Chris, are you awake? He said, no, I'm not awake. It's 2 in the morning. I said, 
well, you're awake now. So I got to ask you something. I said, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's calling me to do. I don't know what I should do. What should I do? You know what Chris said? It was so profound. It was so profound. He's got his doctorate degree. He's so smart. You know what he said to me? That's it. If you don't do what God is calling you to do, I am going to personally kick your butt. That's what he said to me. Two in the morning, in my driveway. I'm tears, crying, needing to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And that's what he said to me. I literally hung up the phone. And I said, okay. Okay. Because I looked at Chris Pollock and I said, I'm here. That's where I want to be. If I am here, that's where I want to be. And if that means that he is affirming the fact that God is calling me to go to school across the street and God is calling me to be a theology and ministry major and somehow find myself in ministry, being a pastor and answering the phone at two in the morning, then okay, I'll do it. Because there was somebody in my life who was willing to invest in me, help me and guide me along the path. I was here, but now I'm here. Who helped me get there? Who are the people in your life that have helped you get from where you are to where you want to be? If I'm being totally honest, I, uh, I found myself really struggling this week over this passage. I would read it over and over and over again, and I just can, became increasingly more and more frustrated. And I kept asking myself, why am I so frustrated about this passage? And I finally realized, you know what? I'm frustrated because I'm tired of reading stories in the Old Testament where God has given people everything. Where God has showed up to these kings and these prophets and these people and He's given them everything. He said, I will give you wealth. I will give you power. I will give you authority. I will give you wisdom. I will give you all of these things if you will just choose my path if you will just follow me and king after king after king messes it up and i find myself reading this passage going rehoboam why would you not just listen to the elders you know they know the right thing you know they know what they to tell you what they need to do why won't you listen to them and then i realized It hit me late last night. So frustrated because I am Rehoboam. I relate so much to his story. His story is my story in so many ways. I I can recount story after story of moments where I was King Rehoboam. You know who else is Rehoboam? Kevin Durant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is true. I was legitimately working on my message last night and uh, watching the game. And I'm reading this passage and I was like, oh my gosh, Kevin Durant is King Rehoboam. Like he made our burden heavier. Like I couldn't, I'm serious. I was like, what a mean man, you know? 
That was not in my notes. Uh, that was true. I really did think that. Where was I? Oh, yeah. In the midst of my frustration, I realized that I'm Rehoboam in so many situations. How many times have I heard the wisdom of a mentor and still made the wrong choice? How many times have I remembered right from wrong and still chose wrong? How many times have I wanted to do it my way with just no help from anybody? How many times have I forgotten that my decision will affect other people? How many times have I found myself on a path that God never intended me to go down? And how many times have I needed someone to guide me and wasn't willing to seek guidance? How many times have I needed somebody to guide me, to get me to where I want to go, but wasn't willing to seek it out? So my wife um, had an opportunity a couple weeks ago. And uh, she took a weekend with some girls and they went to what's called the IF Conference. And the IF Conference is a pretty amazing conference and it's, it's all for females, it's all for women, and you can actually go somewhere and they can simulcast the conference into wherever you are. So groups of ladies are doing this all over the country and, and it's pretty incredible what's happening. And my wife has been radically transformed by it. Over the last two years, I've seen a significant effect in her spiritually and in her Christian walk as she gets back and returns from these conferences. So she gets back on Sunday afternoon and we're sitting on the couch and, and we're having these conversations and, and I just start asking her, hey, how was it? How was the conference? She starts telling me about all the really great things that happened at it. And I said, what were some of the speakers talking about? She said, well, the, the whole theme of this whole weekend was around mentoring. They were basically asking the question, who has shown you Christ? And who are you going to show Christ to? And they said they did this really cool exercise. And, and Hannah is explaining to, the, to me about this exercise they did. And they said, everyone got a tile. And on the front of this tile, you were supposed to write down, who are the people in your life that have guided you and led you along the path. So I asked Hannah, I said, Who, who'd you write down? She said, well, I wrote down my small group leader from high school, Heather, which I assumed she would write down. You see, Heather has played a significant impact in Hannah's life from the time she was in high school. In fact, Hannah had just gone to church uh, and Heather said, you should join my small group. And, and it wasn't even the right grade of small group that Hannah should join, but because Heather invited her to do it, she said, okay, I'm in. That started a relationship from that point forward that continued to grow. Heather has discipled Hannah through high school, college, and young adulthood. And now I'm getting to see Heather disciple Hannah through motherhood. You see, as Hannah was young and only in, in high school, she could look at Heather and go, I want to be where you are. You know where Heather was at that time? She was in college. And then when Hannah got to college, she could disciple, Heather could disciple Hannah because Hannah said, I want to be where you are. You know where Heather was? Young adulthood. And now that she was in young adulthood, she was able to look at Heather and go, I want to be where you are. You know where Heather was? She's a young mom. And now Hannah is a young mom. And she gets to look to Heather and go, I want to be where you are. Which is a great mom. 
And then the back of the tile, they ask you this question. So the front is, who's discipled you? And on the back it says, who do you want to disciple? Who do you want to show Christ to? Who do you want to guide and lead? And Hannah started to cry. And I said to Hannah, I said, well, uh, who'd, who'd you write down? And my thought was that she would write down a lot of our girls in high school, to be honest. She's involved with a lot of our high school youth ministry. She's been a small group leader for years. And Hannah said, you know what? Who I wrote down was our daughter, Ellie. Then I began to cry. And she said, I wrote down Ellie's name because when Ellie is 28 years old, and somebody asked her, who discipled you? Who showed you Christ? Who mentored and guided and led you along the path? She said, I want Ellie to say my mom. If I had tiles for you, who would you write down on the front? Are there people in your life who you can reflect on and say, I am here because of? Are there mentors? Are there spiritual leaders? Are there people who have guided you along the path? Who have taken you from where you were to where you wanted to be? Who are those names? For some of you, there might be a situation where you're going, you know what? I haven't really had those people in my life. I haven't really had those people in your life. And then asking the question, who do you want to disciple? Who is God maybe calling you to invest in? How is God moving you to invest in a younger person or an older person? I'm going to invite Kyle to come back up as I close. You see, we need people in this journey. We need people who are willing to take our brokenness, willing to take this messed up life, willing to get their hands a little bit dirty and say, I want to lead you to a different place. You've got to be willing to do that. And vice versa, you've got to be willing to enter into a relationship that's going to require some accountability, that's going to require you to be vulnerable and transparent if you want to get someplace other than the place that you are. I really struggled and wrestled with this passage because Rehoboam made a terrible, terrible decision. He got caught up in making a decision just because of the people who were helping him were at the same place he was. And it ended up having a drastic effect on his life and the nation of Israel. Is that us? Is that story going to be our story? Because you realize that that happened in 931 B.C. And we are still learning things from it today in 2017 on a Sunday morning. You see, we've been gifted with this story. A story in which God takes and can use so that we don't make the same mistake. So here's how I want you to respond because I think this requires some prayer. I want you to first spend some time thinking about the people in your life who's mentored you. I want you to write their names down. I want you to put it in your phone. And then I want you to do this. This week, I want you to reach out to them 
I want you to write them a, a letter. I want you to send them a text. Give them a call. Meet, meet them for breakfast or coffee. I don't care. But make sure you reach out to those people and you tell them thank you. You tell them thank you for what they have done. The investment that they've made in your life. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to start thinking about who are you going to invest in. Who are the people in your life that need a mentor? Who are the people in your life that you want to take what God has given you because you are here and you want to move them to where you are? Who are those people? I want you to write them down. Put them on your phone. And begin to pray about it. The beautiful thing about our church is we don't have to go looking very hard for people that need a mentor. That's the beautiful thing about a community. We're right here. We are right here. A perfect platform. A place in which mentoring where an older generation can invest in a younger generation and move them along and help guide us and help lead us to a place where we want to be. You know what the beautiful thing is? Is we all want to be in the same place. We all have the same goal. As a Christ follower, our goal is to live our lives for Christ in every area. How are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Let me pray for us. God, as we respond today, Lord, may we remember those who have impacted our life. May we remember those who have guided us and led us along the journey. And Lord, give us the courage and the strength to reach out to them and say thank you. And Lord, I pray that you will begin to call this group of people to ask the question, who can I start leading? What is my role in leading somebody down that same path? Lord, as we respond today, may it be for Your glory and Your praise. Thank You for what You're doing in our life. Thank You for these conversations, Lord. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.
So I'll start. Lauren, thanks for being my Sunday school teacher. For four years, Lauren taught my Sunday school class, shaped me and educated me in the Christian man I am today. Blair, thanks for letting me be your intern, for showing me what it's like to live this life in ministry. I want you guys this week to take it seriously. Reach out to your mentors, people who have guided you. Say thanks. You'll be so thankful that you did. And then I want you to really pray. Who do I need to be mentoring? Who do I need to be discipling? Because our church body needs it. So you are dismissed. You are loved. Thank you for being here. Have an incredible day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.